What is covert incest and how has it affected my addiction? Welcome to the Real Talk Recovery Podcast with the Therapy Brothers. We're brothers, we're therapists, and we know recovery. Bring your stories, your questions, your successes with Real Recovery. Good, man. Good to be with you today. Yeah, thank you. I Can I ask you a favor? Okay. Will you pray for Willie? Uh-oh, what's wrong with him? Willie's in surgery as we speak right now. So, <laughs> What's yeah. going on with Willie? He has a mass on his hip. We don't know if it's cancerous. Oh, so shoot, man. I'm sorry to hear that. We're removing it. And yeah, Willie's my wire-haired griffin, and he's a, he's a four-year-old. He's a good boy. Um, so anyways... Yeah, so we're we're taking care of Willie today. So yeah, we'll, shoot, we'll, man. Well, I hope things I hope things go well for Willie. You know, yeah, it's not that big a deal. I think. It'll well, be let's fine. let's let's hope not. You know, yeah. I mean, you've had a bad experience with it yourself with the rooster. Yeah, so. we lost our dog to cancer a couple of years ago. So I hope it's not cancer. Hopefully, it's just one of those tumors that a lot of dogs get, and you just get it removed, and he'll be fine. So yeah, yeah. So dogs are part of the family. Yeah, there you go. So, Love my dog. Yeah. So good luck, yeah. man. Yeah, well, I'll pick him up at three. I'll text you and let let you know that he's okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just, just in case you're worried about him, that'd be good. <laughs> yeah. So. All right. Let's let's uh, talk with our guest here. So we have Claire here with us, and Claire so has just uh, oh. just just before you introduce Claire, I just want to. Okay. I think I was just found it episode. If you go to episode number one twenty three, as a woman, how do I know if I struggle with sex addiction? That's Claire too. So Claire's a return caller on the show. And you can get some background there about what's gone on with Claire. So um, Claire, welcome back to the show. Thank you. It sounds like a lot has happened since we talked last. Yes. And a lot of good, a lot of progress. I'm eight months now into recovery and doing a lot of work. The things you guys teach definitely do work and it's um, helped me make a lot of progress. Um, so I'm in a much better place than I was last time I called. Excellent. That's awesome, Claire. So good to hear that. Um, so do you want to fill us in kind of what's happened in the in-between and then get into the specific question that you have? Sure. So, um, like I say, I've, I've been doing a lot of work, things you guys talked about with, I've got a list of about 15 things that I do every day to try to stay grounded and, um, have I found an online support group for women addicts that's been very helpful for me. I go to an in-person 12-step group at my church. Um, I've got a support system. I switched over to started and started seeing a CSAT therapist. Um, and all those things have really been helping a lot. But I still struggle to um, process emotions in my conscious brain. I'm, I'm finding I'm repressing some of those, um, especially shame. But then I also realized, um, that a lot of what I thought was anxiety that I was experiencing was actually the PTSD. Um, and so that was one of my first questions is, is what is the difference between those two and how do they manifest in my body? And then the second question was the, the covert incest, because I think that plays a role in that PTSD. 
Tyler, do you want to start? Sure. Could I just ask another clarifying question first, Claire? Um, sure. Just when you when you talk about PTSD, are there are there specific kinds of trauma that you're already thinking of or have experienced when you're when you're saying that PTSD? Is there any background to that? Um, that's there's a lot of complexity to that for sure. Um, I know, as we talked in the last episode, I, my father, um, had a lot of anger issues. And so there was a lot of emotional instability there. And so I find with my husband, when he, um, will act a certain way that will trigger the PTSD. And so I feel like I'm always walking on eggshells with him. Um, and, and then as I've turned and faced that and tried to face the fear that surrounds, um, that, that again, goes back to the childhood. I am digging deeper into a lot more complex issues with intimacy and things like that with my husband. Does that answer the question? I think so. So if I, so if I'm hearing you correctly, the PTSD stems from primarily an on the ongoing relationship with your, at least your dad or your parents as you were being raised in sort of this kind of uh, the emotional process that that child was experiencing and not knowing how to manage the instability in, in terms of temper or uh, approach to, to discipline. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Mm -hmm. And then I, I think I'm projecting some of that onto my husband, but at the same time, he also has his own trauma, which um, is very similar to my dad. Um, so that's sure. been challenging to navigate. Sure. Which is, which is interesting because when you look at trauma, it's not uncommon to have something that we call reenactments, which is that when we've experienced a form of trauma, we often interpret that in a certain way. And, and I, I heard a new definition of trauma that, that I really liked the other day that said trauma happens when two things happen. When, when I have an emotional experience that changes the way I think or changes my brain and it was bigger than my ability to cope, that's something called trauma. And so what happens is as a child, when you experience those, those things in, in, that you did, it overwhelmed your ability to cope and it had an effect on how you saw yourself in the world later on in life, those sort of like rules for living get established. And then people find themselves reenacting similar kinds of trauma to the things that they experienced. And so it's not, it, it kind of makes sense that, that you have the issue of your own trauma. That's also being affected by the fact that you're with a partner who has similar trauma to the reenactments you've experienced. And it goes kind of round and round in a loop. Right. Tyler, Tyler, I love that definition, but I also, there, there's a piece of it that, and maybe it's just the way I'm interpreting it that I don't like, which is, and, and it comes back to this covert incest um, question, um, which is, it, it's bigger than I have the ability to cope. And sometimes trauma is so small and so subtle, and we're so unaware of it, that it's, it's not even a big event or a big thing. And yet it's traumatic and it's when it's longstanding covert like that, then it, it's traumatic. And so yeah. I just, I just want to clarify, like, it's not just these big things that. Right. Like, so, so what you're saying, Brown is, is that those little things, especially for a child that doesn't even know any better, they're having these things happen to them, not even knowing that they're traumatic. It's yes. just, it's just, it's just their reality. 
And they're and actually they're actually coping with it. They're just but the way that they're coping is starting to lead to attachment disorders and addictions and and all of these things. Right. Um, but they're coping with this environment that they're that they're in. Right. Which, which then uh, this is us splitting hairs, but then I would say that's where the not coping, that's where the coping is not coping, but the, but the person or the child doesn't necessarily know they're not coping. They're just doing the best they know how. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And as a child, you're surviving. If you're surviving, you're coping. That's how it feels. Right. Um, so we kind of, we kind of got off here, but, um, Uh, could I come, could I come back to a little bit of of what Claire was saying here for a second? Now that we've kind of established that the, the trauma part of it, Claire, you said, you said you're, you've been, the first part of your question was, I'm trying to understand the interplay between shame and my PTSD and how those things work inside my body. And, and I don't know that for most people, they're mutually exclusive to each other, right? They, they're, they're different things, but most of the time, one of the, one of the biggest factors that kind of plays into the PTSD or the trauma that I've experienced is the shame that comes with it. There's, there's a message of you're powerless or you're not good enough or you're unlovable or you're unworthy or you're failure or something that goes along with the trauma that we experience. And so the manifestation sometimes of that trauma is the shame or the belief of shame that comes with it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. Um, Even though shame can come from lots of other places too. Yeah. Um, So one of the things with with the shame, um, which happened recently, which kind of spurred this this call was um, a couple of weeks ago, my husband went mining for information and found something I'd written. Um, It was my accountability list from the 12 steps, you know, trying to take an honest inventory. And so there was a lot of details in there that um, I had written down and I had forgotten that it was there. I thought I'd had destroyed everything, but he found it. Um, and when he showed it to me, I did feel initially a rush of shame, but I, because it's my habit to do so, I buried it right away. Right. And tried to just push on and, and deal with, um, the aftermath of him finding this out. Um, but then the next day I found myself in a position where I, I was starting to relapse. Um, and so that is concerning to me is that I'm, I'm still burying those feelings and emotions. So I want to be able to, to process them in a more open way to be able to, to deal with them. Does that make sense? Makes total sense. How, how did you recognize it this time around, Claire? How did you, how did you become aware of the process that was taking place that was being driven by shame? Um, I think it's just a lot of of mindfulness and all of the learning that I've been doing over the last few months that um, has helped me keep that, that prefrontal cortex in control and not um, let it be hijacked as easily by, by that addict brain. Were there certain physical symptoms or manifestations that triggered you to be able to recognize that you were operating from a place of shame? It, it really was, was when I started relapsing and the behaviors that started up again. And that's what, um, sparked that realization that I was in a shame spiral. 
So it was the behaviors that you were doing that you were like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm going back into the same old pattern. I'm doing these things again. Yeah. Okay. And then I walked it back. And as I looked back at how did I get here? That's when I walked back and realized that it, it was the shame that that came from reading that, that list and knowing my husband had read that list. Gotcha. So if, if you, can I dig with you a little bit, Claire? Can I, can we try to get down to it a little bit? So, um, your husband reads it, you know, that he reads it. Um, the the emotions you had was shame. What, any other emotions that you had? Um, there's always fear accompanying a lot of this. Um, and that's about the, my level of what, what identity or what, what did you not want your husband to see about you that you're afraid that is true? Do you understand my question? Yes. Um, I, I don't want him or anyone really to see me as, as the addict and as having done so many things that I know are wrong. Okay. So it's like broken. Yeah. And there's another component to it. I think too, that that he's been getting therapy on and we've been working on. Um, He's got a lot of really low self-worth. And so there's times where he will um, and open up and, and talk about how hopeless he feels that he can be forgiven and um, how horrible a person he is, some really negative self-talk that comes from him. And so when I hear that, that of course makes me think, well, if you can't forgive yourself for those kind of things, how could you ever forgive me? Oh, okay. So I'm unforgivable. Like I'm, I'm like, you're not, you're not going to actually be able to let go of this and see me as good again. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can't do that with yourself or or less things. Okay. So I don't want you to see me as weak and broken. And I'm also terrified that you, you're not going to, you're not, you're not, not going to come around and, and forgive and, 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 and see the goodness in me again. Um, so now Claire, I want you to kind of di- keep digging here. Um, when have you felt like that outside of this relationship with your husband, like as a child, when, when, when were these feelings overwhelming, um, unbearable? What type of experiences did you have? Um, I remember as a child and I, I, I blocked a lot of this out because it is so painful. Um, but I remember and, and, as a and child Cla- and Claire, just go yeah. as far as you want to. You don't have to keep going with me if you don't want. Okay. Okay. Um, I remember being in a group of friends and, um, everyone was talking and I wanted to, to participate in the conversation and then hearing myself say, Nobody cares what you have to say. What you have to say isn't important. Um, And there's an experience that my dad tells me 
when I was, you know, three years old, I used to stand up on the seat of the car and just jabber away and talk, talk, talk. And then one day he said, I just stopped talking and he couldn't get me to start talking again. And then, um, so something happened. And then he tells my husband yeah. the, the version that he doesn't want me to know, but he said that, that at one point I had been talking and I'd ask him if he was listening and he obviously hadn't been listening. And, and at that point is when I, I shut down and stopped talking to him because I didn't feel like what, that he was paying any attention to me. Hmm. Um, and it seemed like such a little thing. And, and I know there was probably a lot more to it than just one conversation where dad was spaced out. Um, Hmm. Um, so you were, uh, and I do, I wonder if you felt a lot like he wasn't listening and, and you remember that one time, but I wonder if kind of subtly and over time, you just felt like dad didn't care and wasn't connecting to you. I, I don't know. Um, yeah. And, and we could go further into that, that covert incest relationship there, um, that talk was going about on. it, Claire, Claire. Talk about it. What? Well, can you we, give me a definition first? Yeah. So let's let me let, let's do a definition of covert incest because not just for you, but for I think for our listeners, it'll be important to have this as a as an understanding before we get into the details of it. So, so covert incest is when a parent or caregiver relies on a child for support that a romantic partner would typically give. And here's a few kind of examples of how that kind of plays out. Um, parents rely on a child for their emotional support, meaning confiding in them about the relationship with their other parents or looking to the child for reassurance or comfort, asking the children's advice before they're actually age appropriate, sometimes putting their needs before their own child, meaning they expect praise from their child. They expect their child to make them feel better. They, they invade the child's privacy they treat the child sometimes like a romantic partner, including discussing inappropriate things, sexual experience, body appearance, or they feel jealous of the child's other relationships and they become romantic, uh, jealous of romantic relationships as the child grows. Uh, they compete for attention. They intrude or sometimes attempt to sabotage those relationships. So in essence, so in essence, covert incest is where the parent is flipping the script in some sense and trying to use the child for their own benefit in consuming their child to make them feel better about themselves or to use them as their, their primary emotional support. Claire, does that, does that ring true? Is that kind of your experiences? Yes, very much so. Um, and so I, um, I'm the second of seven children. I've got two other sisters, one that's older and then one that's um, about four years younger than me. And so that inappropriate boundaries and relationship happened with all of us on some level or another. And I think my older sister and I got the, the worst brunt of it. My parents divorced and my dad moved out when my younger sister was 13. So um I've started to kind of talk to my sisters about the experiences and um, what happened with them. And my older sister said that, that she remembers canceling um, plans with her friends to stay home and take care of my dad's emotional needs. Mm -hmm. um, and I, we, 
I kind of put this as, as my, because my mother was very distant and, and in betrayal trauma and withdrawn. And, and um, so my dad obviously wasn't getting his needs met from her. So he did turn to, to his kids to get that. Um, and we, we kind of figured out that, that my sister became more of a surrogate spouse to him. My younger sister became more of a mother figure to him, which was funny because even at 13 years old, she was telling him what to do. Mm-hmm. And then I was more of his girlfriend role and um, felt more of the romantic incest stuff going on there. Um, very much um, where you talk about him being jealous. Um, I, there were never any boys that were good enough. And that was across for all of my sisters. None of, I never felt comfortable bringing or talking about guys that boys that I liked and that I thought were cute or anything. He would sabotage all of that. Um, and then he would, there was a lot of inappropriate talk. We would be, I remember walking down the street with him when I was like 12 and a woman walked by and he turned to me and, and started talking about her um, body parts and very inappropriate language to talk to your 12 year old daughter about. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and there were many other instances where I could see um, th- those inappropriate lines were drawn um, and that I was always the prettiest daughter. I was the best daughter. Um, I was his favorite and all the other kids knew that. Um, I could do no wrong, um, very much putting me up on that pedestal. Um, and so there's a lot of, of... Hey, Brandon, what does the Rising Sun Retreat include? Well, not only is it your lodging, excellent food by a professional chef, brotherhood with a bunch of guys who are there to heal, but it's so much more. If you don't believe me, don't take my word for it. Listen to what they have to say. If I had a friend who was contemplating attending this conference, I would say, do it. Sign up as soon as you can. Man, you gotta do it. You gotta do it. I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll, be your, I'll be you guys' advertising arm because I'm gonna tell everybody I know about this conference. Oh man, I would say, again, I, I have nothing but positive things to say about it, so. Uh, There's no reason to, not to come. Definitely attend. If you have the means, you, it would be a mistake not to come. Do it. You won't be disappointed. Well, I would say it takes a leap of faith to come to one of these things because you're not going to know what it's going to be coming into it. And it's completely worth it. Just go for it. Um, so I would tell that friend that uh, he should definitely come. It is definitely worth um, the time, the effort, the money. If you have any thought whatsoever, whether or not you should go, just go. Even after I signed up, I told my wife I didn't want to come the first day. I was like nervous as I'll get out. I knew it was going to be uncomfortable, everything about it. But I would look at that person and say, you will never regret. To help you to know how to find the joy that you're seeking in your life, to do this, take it seriously, and add it to your regimen moving forward. it, It has been powerful. Just incredibly powerful. 
If you're interested in attending our next Rising Sun retreat, go to risingsun.org, risingsunson.org, and check out more stories like this. Hurry up because space is limited. Um, and so there's a lot of, of really, this is something I haven't really gone deep into as to as far as how that affected me and with my relationship now and with the addiction. Um, it's interesting that, you know, to try to connect the dots here and I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm asking a question like, did you feel like, you, you know, you weren't seen by your dad and, and he wasn't listening and, and in what you just described almost sounds like the opposite yet it's not. Um, and this is why it's covert. Um, because it's fascinating as you talk about him, Claire, you know, your, your mom had betrayal trauma. So I'm assuming he had some type of addiction or he was cheating on her in some way. Um, look at how he's, he's just consuming women all around him. His daughter becomes his mother figure. His daughter becomes his girlfriend figure. Um, you know, he's acting out in some ways with sex and, and women. And, and so, although it seems like he's validating you and seeing you and noticing you, it's this twisted thing of ultimately he is not fathering you. Um, and he is, he is, he is using you and consuming you, which is so, so different than actually being heard, actually being seen and actually being acknowledged as a daughter, right? Um, does, I, does, that, does that make sense? Go ahead, Tyler. But I imagine that it probably felt good to feel important to your dad because you were there offering, you know, on your case, this romantic side of things, your sister's case, these other needs that were being met. That's where I think it's, that's when we talk about like false agreements being being developed is that this is how I learned to, to be valued or to and be And who important. I am. Like, this is who I am. I'm the person who who provides this for, for my father or for anyone else and for men yeah, or for men, whatever it is. So, so now you can see where maybe the roots of certain core beliefs or what we call false agreements start to form, even though the child doesn't know that they're even forming in the first place. Right. Yeah. And his view of me was, was false, right? Because he's projecting this um, view of, of, me as a girlfriend figure in that and, and not as a daughter. And so I'm trying to, to live up to this, but not feeling seen because he isn't seeing me. He's seeing this fantasy. Um, and, and I'm remembering too, there were times where he would talk to me. Um, so um, he would talk to me about his sex life with my mother and then kind of insinuate that, well, you wouldn't do that to other, mm. to your spouse, right? To, to men, you wouldn't play these games and, and things like that, which was very subversively teaching me lessons about that I was supposed to be there as a, as a sexual object for men to use. Mm -hmm. And that that's where my worth lies was in my sexuality. Um, a lot of times he, he would make comments when I, after my first baby about how much weight I'd gained and that, um, he hoped I wouldn't let myself, um, I can't remember the wording, but 
let go of my appearance, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So objectifying you and yeah, you can see why, you know, fast forward to your relationship now and your husband's finding this thing and you're, you're feeling like, oh, I'm letting a man down, how a trauma response comes. And, um, I just, I just want to say too, PTSD, um, PTSD is a, is an anxiety disorder. So, um, when you say what's the difference between PTSD, even shame, they're all in this bucket of anxiety and it's, it's fear to protect, um, and, and control. So your, your thoughts start spinning and going to try to protect and shame is one way that we do that. You know, we, we turn it on ourselves and we ruminate in beating ourselves up. Um, but it's all, and it's all anxiety, right, Tyler? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, as, as you're telling more and more of your story, Claire, if I'm contrasting that against a little bit of the last episode that we shot, um, I'm hoping that even as we're talking and as you've been wrestling with these things and you're starting to see these things and go, wow, like, I'm just picturing this, you know, young teenage girl who has no clue what's actually happening in terms of she's trying to be important. She's trying to be helpful. She genuinely cares. She loves her dad and she's giving all of these things, incurring these beliefs. Like, doesn't it make total sense that the reason you came on our show in the first place was, do I, what do I do as a female who has a sex addiction? It's like, well, it's no wonder like there's, yeah. there's lots of room for a lot of compassion and love for, for yourself in this situation when you start to really break down and see how these things developed over time. Yeah. Claire, I, hope, you I hope you're able to feel that for yourself, Claire, because I know you've spent years and years in, in judgment and shame towards yourself for all of these things. Yeah, I... I think that I have the, the interesting thing though, is, is even a lot of that shame isn't processed in a, um, it's, it's subconscious, a lot of it. And so I can have a lot of compassion for myself and a lot of positive self-talk, but at the same time, the shame is there, um, undermining a lot of that. And so that I, I struggle a lot with dissociation as well, where I, I pull myself, the, the, the self that I want everybody to see and that I want to be to one side, um, but there's still the, the darkness um, that I haven't been able to, um, to digest and accept, I guess. Claire, do you feel guilt when you talk about your dad? and the things that he's done, do you feel like you're betraying him? No. Um, I, again, I, I buried so much of that, that I, I don't know what I feel. I mean, there's a lot of anger there. That was going to be think, my next question. Do you feel a lot of anger toward him? Yeah. Um, yeah but it's something that I haven't been able to let myself express to him yet. Is it okay that you're angry about what, what he's done? Yeah. I think I've started to accept that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's it's, it's that anger is better than 
playing the game with him, right? Like at least you're coming to a realization of what is and it's pissing you off. Like you've been used for a long time. And so that anger is, is part of the progression of, of healing from this. Um, but you could, you could get to that, that point and, and spend the rest of your life there. And there, you know, there's more work to do to, to come through that anger and, and work through that. It might take you a while, might take you years to work through that anger. Um, but as you work through it, you're going to get to a place of compassion for him, but that compassion for him won't be the only place you get to. You'll get to real compassion for yourself and acceptance and it won't be shame anymore. Um, but, but in order to get there, you got to continually face the pain and the reality of what is so that you can, you can start to find that. Claire, uh, you, you're talking here with us and that anchors, that anger is there. I know a lot of people tend to shy away from anger because we've been taught that it's a terrible, horrible thing. And, you know, it, it can lead to problems and we don't want to stay stuck there, but what do you, what do you do with the anger that you feel? Like, how do you cope with it currently? Well, um, talk about it to, to my husband and to, I've started talking more to my siblings. We kind of, for a long time as, as siblings, didn't really have a lot of emotional contact because of, of that abusive um, environment that we were raised in. But as, as you're talking, I'm, had an experience last week with one of my um, former acting out partners who confronted me. I put up some boundaries with him because he's still in the, the city and, and part of the picture. And I put up some boundaries and he responded with a lot of anger at me pushing back. And I came to the realization that that, he, that relationship was also abusive. and becoming angry at myself for letting myself be so weak is something I've been struggling with this week. Um, and I also feel like on some levels with my husband also in, um, the abuse that's happened in the marriage and, um, but trying not to let myself go to this really bitter place over it. Sure. sure. Okay, good. So so if I hear you right, you do have a few avenues. You've got some supportive people to talk it through with, to flush it through with. Doing things like journaling would be good. But I can make a suggestion with the anger is, is that instead of shoving it away, when that anger comes up, to, to try to see the anger as a window into your values. So, so when the anger comes up and you start to go, oh, I can't believe that I let myself be in this abusive relationship, or I can't believe this, or I can't believe this person did this to me. It's like, okay, good. That's there. Can I be curious with that? And what's it, what's it directing me to? Is it, it's directing to me to something that's actually important to me in terms of my values. And if I can identify those values, then I can develop a game plan to nurture and foster and protect those values as a result of my anger, instead of letting it turn into this place where I hear it going, which is Therefore, I've sucked. Therefore, I'm no good again. Like, how, how could I possibly do that? Let's spoon feed some more shame. Let's repeat the cycle. It's like, wait a second, there's values underneath this. And, and, there, and I'm coming to know myself through this anger because this anger is steering me to my values. 
Yeah. What do you think's underneath it right now when we when we're talking about this, you know, covert incest stuff, like this anger towards your father? What are the values that are underneath it that are screaming? Um that's that I don't need to to let myself be defined by my looks, that I don't need to find worth from other people that I have that just inherently. Go ahead, Tyler. Go ahead, Brandon. You were going to go ahead. I just want to, I want to ask, are you loved Claire? Logically I say yes. But that's something I struggle to see and accept, I guess. It's the big missing piece here. Is it, what's, your, what's your relationship like with God? I feel like I have a really close relationship with him. Okay. What does what does God's love feel like to you? It's peace, and it doesn't have any strings attached to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You do. You, do you have you felt that? Do you know that logically? Have you felt that from God? Yes. Okay. I have had some very personal experiences that that I have felt that. Um, okay. But since I've started down this this journey with the addiction and, and recovery, I don't think I've I've really felt that. It's been over a while. The last year, yeah. Um. So, and this is kind of where I'm going and whatever your God is, right? Like, but, but when your husband comes and there's this trauma response of, oh my gosh, he's going to not forgive me and see me as broken. There's where, where you'll find solace, peace is that knowing that I'm loved, that I'm worthy, that I'm seen and I'm seen like a daughter, right? Like, I th- I just think of the ways that I love my daughters and how just automatic it is and and just just I can't express I can't I can't explain it Claire I can't tell you what it's like for me as a father to a daughter and 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 I'm speaking as a father who doesn't want to use my daughters for my own self-worth who doesn't need them for my validation um, who, who, who's not going to use them and, and covertly emotionally abuse them. I'm speaking as a father who just loves my daughters and I want them to feel that from me and I'm imperfect and I'll wound them, but more so I want them to feel that from God who loves them way better than I ever can. And if they feel that from God and they know that, then when they get in a relationship with a man, 
um, they'll be resilient in their shame and they'll be able to navigate and tolerate the, the ups and downs of that relationship. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that's, that's something actually that, that came up in my last therapy session is, is my therapist had been asking me what my emotional needs are that are not being met. Um, and, and that was one that I brought up the last time was that I, I need unconditional love from somewhere because I don't feel it. The covert incest twists a couple things. It does this. It says, it says, you know, this is how love works and it's twisted and you have to earn your love. And then it also does this. It says, you know, if you want to go get love from God, well, you've experienced a father. And so you think of God similar to your own father, right? And so it's, it's hard to fully trust and go there and just bask in the love, right? Because you've been manipulated by somebody who's supposed to protect you and supposed to love you. And so it's scary and it's hard. Right. Yeah. And I know I would say that, that I've, that God's been trying to, to wake me up to this. And I can point to lots of experiences over the last 30 years of times when God has reached out through different means, through scriptures, through um, experiences at the temple and places like that, where he's reached out. And, and those are the times where I have felt his, his love. But then that um, unconscious trauma experiences come back and just sabotage it. Yeah. I think that's the battle. That's, that's the midst of the battle that you find yourself in right now. And I think it's common for a lot of people. You're not alone in this. And I, I just, I would might just make a couple of suggestions with where Brandon's going, because I think he's spot on. And I think your heart knows that. I think that's why you brought up earlier that you're angry because you know, you should be treated differently. You're angry because you know, you should be valued because of just the fact that you're you and that you're alive you said, I don't know that rationally. I know that, but emotionally I know that. And I would say that maybe you do emotionally know that that's why the anger is coming up. It's, it's that there's other things that are layered over the top of it that prevent you from experiencing the truth of what you know, deep inside. So the anger is the only way it can find to get to the top to say, look at me, like this thing, this thing is here. And if you could start to frame your anger as wow, like, something inside of me knows this value is there and, and I can lie to it. I can pretend it's not there, but it will continue to surface through this anger until I take a look at it and validate that it's there. And when I can start to lay down all these other parts of me that might've been used for protection or might've been used to serve me in a certain way earlier in life, when I recognize what those are and I start to validate those and I start to then choose to practice laying them down, knowing I'll pick them up a thousand times and lay them down a thousand times again. That is the process of starting to kind of unlayer all of these things till I can get to that point where, where I can, where I can remind myself. It's not even, it's not even like finding it again. It's reminding myself of my value, letting, letting God's love remind me of the truth that was always there. If that makes sense. Yeah. You know, Claire is fascinating that as you talk about your dad, 
Um, your dad didn't know that he was loved. And so he was using women and using his children to, to try to get that love. So his question was never answered and, and he didn't feel that, that sense of strength and peace in his life. And you can see the generational pattern start to happen, right? So he, he inflicts these wounds on you because he's trying to use you for his love. And then you end up with a sex addiction and you're going to your husband and saying, please tell me that I'm okay, that I'm lovable, that I'm, or you're going to other men. And, and at some point, where does the, this chain break? And, and what it breaks with, with, it breaks with a courageous person who is willing to say, I'm going to face the pain of it. I'm going to do the hard work and I'm going to, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get those questions answered for me. I'm going to face the self-sabotage. I'm going to deal with the fears that get in the way of it. And I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to know, I'm going to know that I truly am loved and I'm not going to try to get it all the other ways anymore. Right. And um, you're on your way, Claire. You're, you really are willing to start to face this stuff. And it's awesome to see you work through this. Yeah, I'm thinking of like the Zach Williams song, Chainbreaker. Like you've been wrestling with this addiction, thinking you're the failure and you're the weak one and you're not good enough and you're not lovable. But if you look at it from what the context Brandon just said, Claire, you are the chain breaker. You are the way maker. Like the fact that you're talking about these things and confronting these things, it says something about you other than the story that you've listened to for your whole life. And it's a pretty powerful, potent thing to think about being a transitional figure, not only in your own life, but maybe in the lives of generations as well. And that's exactly what you're doing right now. Yeah. I, I can process the logic side of it, but the emotional side is just hard. It's beautiful. Yeah. And it's when you've been running from it for so many years. That's, that's the heavy lifting part. And I, I think that there's going to be, you're, you're in full process as Brandon said, I might just make a suggestion that kind of goes back to your original question a little bit. I know we're just about out of time, but you asked like, how does, how does shame and trauma manifest itself in the body? And this is a question that I would ask you probably won't be able to answer it right now, but you're already practicing the awareness. You became aware of yourself stepping into a relapse. The next step is to become aware of the emotional process that stepped you into the relapse. So start to pay attention to like, your body, like when you get angry at yourself and you start telling yourself those negative things about how you're a failure or how you're not good enough, or the minute you start having that dialogue pause and do an inventory of what's happening in your body, because the shame will be active in your body by the time that story starts. And once you recognize what that physiology starts to look like, you can start to short circuit the pattern even sooner and meet that part of you with curiosity and understanding and compassion rather than letting it spin all the way into judgment and bad behavior. So like if I finish this call with you today, Claire, and I'm like, Oh man, I totally messed up. I I'm such a failure. I'm a terrible therapist. I'm going to pause and go, what's going on. Oh, I feel this pit in my stomach. I feel heaviness in my head. I feel this tightness in my shoulders. What is that? That's my shame. Oh, okay. That's the guy that's who's in the driver's seat right now. That's what shame is for me. What's the truth? 
the truth is, is that I'm a human being doing the best I can to help somebody. I don't always get it right. I can get better. I'm a work in progress. And I'm going to fall back on those choice experiences that you said that you've had. I've had the same things. I can remember times where I know my value in God's eyes. I'm going to fall back on those, remind myself of the truth of who I am, that I'm a force for good, that I'm a work in progress, that I get to improve the rest of my life. And, and then I'm going to practice that. So now my shame becomes the catalyst to do the practice of getting to the truth. And you can use that with your physical body if you start to pay attention to it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So. Claire, we're just, a, we're just about out of time here. Do you have any last thoughts or questions with our conversation today? Um, not, not anything that won't start a whole <laughs> can of worms. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, maybe we should, uh, maybe should we, we should have you back on another eight months or a year or so and see yeah. how you're doing with your progress and, um, just really appreciate your willingness to come on and share yourself the way you do, Claire. Thank you for your willingness. It's a benefit to other people and, um, just glad you came on today. Thank you. Claire, thank you for your courage. Thank you. Have a good day. We'll see you later. All right. You too. Bye.